Since the COVID-19 pandemic, there's been a land grab for sustainability skills as companies race to meet climate targets and prove their greenness. But the surge of people claiming to be ESG experts has left many wondering if this expertise is real. This is the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Robin Hicks. Pretending to be an ESG guru while actually knowing little or nothing about environmental or social issues is known as competency greenwash and is considered a major emerging risk to watch in the business world. A popular cartoon that emerged in 2021 characterised the problem. It showed the fastest things on earth. Among them was a cheetah, an aeroplane, the speed of light and people becoming specialists in ESG. The data bears out this trend. Jobs that require sustainability skills have grown by 8% a year since 2016, but the people with the right skills to do these jobs has grown by just 6% a year, according to data from LinkedIn. A study by the Business Social Network last year suggested that the world does not have the skills needed to do the work needed to meet global climate goals. Joining the Eco Business podcast to discuss the issue of competency greenwash in the Asia context are Darian McBain, the former Chief Sustainability Officer of the Monetary Authority of Singapore and Thai Union, who now runs her own consultancy, and Paddy Balfour, the Asia Head of Sustainability Specialist Recruitment Firm, Acre. Welcome to the podcast, Darian and Paddy. Hey, Robin. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Robin. So great to have you both on the show. It's an interesting one we're going to talk about this week, competency greenwash, which is a new and emerging issue in the ESG uh, sphere. Now, I want to ask you, first of all, Darian, why do you think that competency greenwash is a problem for the sustainability sector in Asia? And how big of a problem do you think it is? So I think it's become a problem recently because there is such demand for sustainability skills, but there's been a lack of investment in sustainability skills over the past three decades. So if I look back, I trained in the early 1990s in environmental engineering, and actually we didn't know what we were going to do. We thought we might build bridges in a different way or perhaps help with construction in a more sustainable way. But it was recognised that there was demand coming out of sort of the Rio Earth Summit that people would need to be thinking about the environment and sustainability. If you fast forward now, you know, sadly, close to 30 years, there's a high demand. Every business needs somebody looking at sustainability and particularly sitting here in Singapore today, the financial sector is creating a huge demand for people with a broad skill set across sustainability. But there hasn't been that buildup of competency, the investment in courses and the delivery of those courses and training and skills. And we do see it starting to happen, uh, certainly in Singapore and other countries in this region. You see there is more of an investment in green skills and sustainability. But I think the demand for people to have those skills now is actually helping to contribute to this whole problem with skills greenwashing. Right. Yeah. And similar question to you, Paddy, obviously, as a specialist in sustainability recruitment, do you see um, competency greenwash as a as an issue? And yeah. And how big a problem do you think it is? I think 
when we're looking at technical hires, um, you know, particularly around things like environmental risk, um, you know, pollution, climate change, resource depletion, there's a real issue when it comes to hiring people who aren't qualified to do the work that they're employed to do. I think at an enterprise level, you've got a risk there in terms of organizations who are positioned to do a piece of work that they aren't qualified to do. Um, and therefore, we have to be very careful about those elements of, 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 of greenwashing. I think that the other piece is around the, the erosion of trust that we have in terms of sustainability when we've hired individuals or we have hired um, an organization to deliver a piece of work, which they can't deliver. The other side to it, which is this, this points to a little bit around what Darian was talking about, around the, the growth of hiring in sustainability in Asia, which is ultimately a good thing. You know, this is because organizations have made net zero commitments. This is because there is increasing um, uh, impetus to be able to make a, a specific change and to change behaviors. And I think we have to be conscious that Singapore, for example, it's a less developed candidate marketplace. And part of the challenge that we're facing here is the natural evolution of that. And I think it then comes down to supporting and nurturing talent. Um, you know, we, we can't answer the, the challenge that said, you know, yes, there was underinvestment in, in building capacity in this area over a period of time. What we can do is support um, talent, support individuals, support organizations to be able to make that, um, make that, that, uh, that change over, over the next period of time. Building on what Patty said, there's a lot of new legislation which perhaps hasn't been in force in Asia and yet is coming out of Europe and the United States, which is now starting to reach into Asia. And I'd use the uh, carbon border adjustment measurement, the sustainable finance disclosure regulation, forced regu labor regulations from the United States. These are all related to supply chains and extending beyond the initial regulators' borders. And so that means that those companies working in Asia are now starting to have to comply with regulations that are enacted in other countries. And that in itself is creating a lot more demand. And I guess to Paddy's point, it isn't that it's historic demand, it's demand that's being created now. And again, you need people with the right skills to address that quite quickly. Absolutely. Yeah, there is huge demand for ESG um, skills at the moment. In which sort of sectors, Darian, um, do you think that competency greenwash is the biggest issue? You mentioned finance. Are there other sectors as well? I think where you have sectors don't have the technical experts that have come through the different ranks. And so in finance, of course, you have people with a lot of skills in finance, but working on sustainability ESG issues might be relatively new. My experience of working in the real economy in Asia, so with manufacturers, for example, or agriculture, they have had to be doing this technical work for quite a number of years. And so a skill set has been brought up. It's when you have 
almost a sudden demand in a different direction that you find that lack of skills. And I think where you're tending to see more of that competency greenwashing occurring just because you can't naturally find the skill set that you require. Yeah, and that lack of skills is uh, an issue in all sorts of industries, including the media, by the way. You see lots of, uh, for example, media articles written with that show a clear lack of understanding of, of key issues around climate, for instance. Um, now, Darren, again, I want to ask you about the whole industry that appears to be growing around ESG, consultancies. Now, from where we're based in Singapore, there have been quite a few launches of centers, sustainability centers of excellence. Um, I wanted to ask you for your view on these sort of expertise hubs and, and are they as excellent as they say they are? I think you have to look into the history of where their excellence is coming from to be a judge <laughs> of just how excellent they are. I think having hubs is a very good idea, and I say that as Paddy and I are sitting in the ESG Impact Hub in Singapore that I helped to create with MAS, the idea of bringing people together with perhaps different competencies, but all working on common topics, in this case ESG, is a great idea. And that's something that we are seeing in Singapore, whether they're in academia, whether they are in businesses, uh, or whether they are more general. But I think when you make a claim to say that it's a centre of excellence, you really should have your track record in place to show why they're excellent. And if you're considering working with a centre of excellence, be prepared to ask the questions about why is this excellent and what will I be getting from this centre of excellence? Because if it's bringing people together in a hub, that's one thing. If it's particular technical expertise, you may need to look further afield. Absolutely. And the sort of fees, having spoken to chief sustainability officers at other companies, um, I understand that the fees that are being paid into these centres of excellence um, are, are huge. So absolutely, to your point, they need to be able to justify um, that expertise. Now, um, Paddy, on to you. I want to ask you about the sustainability roles that are hardest to fill at the moment in Asia because of a lack, lack of expertise in the market. Where are the biggest knowledge gaps? I think it's it's ultimately in terms of the the thematic experts. It's it, it's the Darian touched on this earlier in the discussion around the that push towards generalist sustainability roles, and I think that we're seeing some of the thematic experts becoming more generalist. We're also seeing more demand for generalist hires, and that is creating a bit of a bit of an issue around around those thematic specialists. The other piece that we're seeing is there's a very, very clear um, push towards, towards carbon, towards climate issues as the top of the agenda. And therefore we're seeing um, challenges in terms of talent coming through in other areas like biodiversity, for example. Um, and we're seeing issues in terms of identifying the the sort of the, the the talent capacity coming in through coming through in in those sorts of areas as well, um, but but I think it's it, it it really is those technical experts those thematic experts where we are, um, you know, we're we're struggling the most. 
Another question for you, Paddy. Is there what's the quickest way to tell if a candidate or a colleague or business partner is fudging their claimed expertise or, or, or credentials? This is a huge part of, of the work that I do every day. So it's, it's something that we constantly um, sort of retest ourselves on. I think that the, the language of sustainability, and, and we've seen this in the finance industry in particular, um, people understand the, you know, the, the, the key trends, the, 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 the key words, the phrases, the, uh, um, you know, to, to, to borrow the phrase, the buzzwords um, of, of the day. I think that what's important is to really drill into individuals is in terms of what value are you really creating? What value are you delivering um, in terms of the role that you're doing? And I think by constantly having that sort of frame of reference, you can dig into an individual or dig into a um, uh, a, you know, a, a colleague, um, um, you know, whoever it is, to really understand whether what they are saying they are delivering, whether they are actually doing that. I wanted to ask, you know, in some areas, um, sustainability expertise doesn't take that long a time to, to get up to speed on, right? Um, can't executives with, with little or even no experience simply get trained up to be effective um, in their jobs as a sustainability professional? So I think training across the board is a great thing. And the literacy in sustainability has really increased significantly over the past years as different corporates are putting all of their executives and boards and then broader staff through different sustainability training programs. So I think that is to be applauded and we do want to build that capacity. But if I look at some of the roles, you know, the role of the Chief Sustainability Officer, whilst not defined by any regulation, there are multiple functions that person should be fulfilling. If you are hiring a CFO, a Chief Financial Officer, I think the expectation is that they would at least have an accounting background and you would look at how they progress throughout their career. I think the challenge comes in when you are suddenly a chief sustainability officer, but perhaps you've only done a course, a conversion course in sustainability. That's good. That's great. And you're bringing with you other knowledge. But does it give you the expertise to make very strategic decisions? And if you're a CSO, you should be at the C-suite and hopefully reporting to a CEO are you able to take into account the many and very different issues that come into sustainability decision making? So the UN Sustainable Development Goals, you have 17 different aspects. So are you looking across all of those? Or to Paddy's previous comment, you're just focusing on one aspect of it, of say carbon management. And carbon management, if you go back to the Sustainable Development Goals, is only one aspect of climate action. And I think if you don't have the breadth of experience, what we run the risk of is unintended consequences of poor advice because you don't have the expertise to look across all of those different subjects. So just as you wouldn't hire a CFO who doesn't have accounting experience, perhaps you should not be looking at CSOs who don't have a broader sustainability experience. But I definitely encourage um, any executives and other levels within an organization to do sustainability training and the way that we will start to address the 
lack of capacity is by training up more people who are coming in from different aspects. Okay, and a similar question for you, Paddy. Um, What do you think is expected of the modern chief sustainability officer these days? What do you look for in candidates um, to uh, fulfil certain roles? I think in terms of the the, the chief sustainability officer and, and we have a what we call our our, our, um, our acre frameworks business which is specifically looking at the leadership competencies needed for a for a CSO interestingly um, and, and so slightly counter to to, to to Darian's point there sustainability technical knowledge is not part of that competency base and that was based on interviews with with well over a hundred CSOs where we look in terms of the competencies is it's things like business insight, it's driving change, it's executive influence, it's leadership, innovation and courage. It's actually some of those softer elements that are needed to be able to, to take up that role. And I think the view is, from our perspective, is more around creating the right technical competencies as part of a chief sustainability officer function and understanding that expertise can't all come in one single person. I think that's particularly prevalent in in the market that we're operating in at the moment, where again, we've been crying out for sustainability to um, to be part of the mainstream. And I think that as that has happened, as there have been more leadership hires required for, um, you know, for, for CSOs to sit at that leadership level, we've had to be more creative about identifying the people to do that. And I think one of the challenges that we find in, in a market like Singapore, where we are today, is that some of the CSOs, from a technical perspective, haven't operated at the C-suite. And that is the skill set that is missing from those individuals. So it, it's a, it's a, ultimately it's a very very tricky process to identify either the individuals who haven't operated at the right senior senior leadership level to make that step up, or alternatively people who have worked at a leadership level, and we're looking at supporting some of their technical deficiencies as part of a team build. Um, so it, it's you know, there's no right answer, and it depends on the on the organisation that you're looking at. Okay, so final question for you both. Um, it's about you know a prediction for the coming years from an ESG talent perspective in Asia. Will we have the skills to do the work? Um, there's been a lot of talk about climate quitting, uh, the new phenomenon of people from non-sustainable industries, for example, oil and gas or chemicals or mining. Uh, moving into sustainability roles? Well, we have to do the work in Asia, so we need to get on with it, whether we have the skills or not. Certainly, we can't wait just because we don't have the skills. I think what you referred to as climate quitting, and I read Paul Polman's piece about uh, conscious quitting, you know, where people are leaving their jobs because they don't think the values of their employer are aligned with their own I I do think that is going to have more momentum Um, and a friend recently gave me the book of Ikigai so having your purpose in the world and making sure that your skills and your interests and your desires all match up with what it is that you're doing 
I think we're going to come into some people questioning, you know, what ESG really is. And there was a good article about ESG might have some problems in 2023, but sustainability is just fine. So question what it is that you're trying to do. And I think the ESG sustainability community really needs to embrace diversity, whether that's from different backgrounds, age, gender, race, religion, um, to make sure that we do have all the complementary skills that it's going to be needing to address sustainability across the region. Great stuff. And Paddy, a prediction for uh, the coming years. I, I think to answer the second part of your question, you know, it, around climate quitters. Um, yes, we are going to have a huge number of individuals who want to move into sustainability. And I think we're seeing that already in terms of the, the volume of people who reach out to us you know, as a sustainability specialist search firm who want to make that transition. Um, I think that that doesn't necessarily answer the, the first part of the question, which is, do we have the requisite specific talent to, uh, um, you know, to, to, to answer the world's problems? And um, you know, the short answer is no, we don't at the moment, but we don't really have an option. So I think Darian's point around welcoming diversity of, you know, of, of professionals. I think we, you know, that's a very, very important part of, of how we develop this capacity. It's ensuring that we are um, you know, building talent pools for the future and working at the, um, you know, at, at the university level. We're, we're doing some work at the moment um, globally as part of a, um, an internship program to help university students develop their early stage experience in different professional environments and that's all around creating you know creating capacity um so i i think no we don't have the talent at the moment but you know we don't really have an option darian um anything on how to prepare i guess a, a younger you or, or, or a person coming through the ranks for a job in sustainability so I think I tend naturally to think of sustainability as being a STEM-related topic, so science and technology, engineering and maths, and that's where I came from, an engineering background. But it is much broader, and when I think of the roles that I've actually done in multiple organisations, what it fundamentally is is a change management role. And so you have to be able to take all of the different inputs, whether it's changing regulations, changing stakeholder desires, changing consumer preferences, or it could be a lack of resources. And you need to be able to translate that into something that's going to be suitable for your organization because you need to engage the people within the organization on your sustainability journey, as well as those external. And so I would say, actually, sustainability isn't just the one thing but you have to be able to convince people to change to being more sustainable because ultimately it is about how we all behave and that we can continue to do whatever it is that we're doing into the future yeah that's a really interesting perspective you know i like what you're saying about i guess it being a change management role to a certain uh, extent as well. Um, anything to add to that, Paddy, on what's expected of um, sustainability professionals these days? I think that 
where we're shifting is from sustainability being a defined function into it being a broader role. And I think that sustainability professionals need to, in an organization that they're working in, need to really get to grips with the ultimately the commerciality of what that business is trying to do and why sustainability is important, whether that's from a risk management perspective or a, a value creation perspective. And because that enables, um, and, and touching what Darren was talking about, around that change ma management piece, because if a, a very technical person doesn't understand what an organization is actually trying to do, the ability to influence them around sustainability becomes impossible. So I think it is, you know, having spent this, this podcast talking a lot about the, the challenge of technical skill sets and, uh, um, and away from generalists, it's actually that generalist piece and that leadership piece, um, you know, when we're talking at the CSO level that I think becomes the most important thing. Um, Darian McBain, Paddy Balfour, thank you so much for joining the Eco Business Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. This podcast was hosted by EcoBusiness, Asia's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com, follow us on social media or subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.